Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Craig. We're talking Bucks, Pirates baseball for the next 30 minutes here for fans, by fans. And we got all the Rule 5 stuff sorted out that we talked about last week, what we thought they might do. It's all settled. We're going to talk about that. We have a new pitcher on the staff that I find very, very interesting. Can't wait to talk about Jose Quintana. And we have a guy out there being posted by a Japanese baseball club that is now all the rage and the Pirates are reportedly talking about him. And I think Craig is going to have some words of warning for you and we'll try to sort that out as well. How are you doing, my friend? I'm not doing too bad, brother. I mean, you at least get some pirate news here, uh, which hadn't been coming for a long time. And some of the Pirates news, which I wrote about a little bit, was kind of hidden and it just... It kind of threw me for a loop because, Chris, all of us are having like these conversations. Even the beat reporters are having these conversations about like, you know, which players are going to be gone, which players are going to be, you know, to make room for the Rule 5 players. And we find out that Philip Evans and Tanner Anderson were actually cut back in, uh, actually designated for assignment. I hate when I say cut. They were designated for assignment back in October. You're cut from the major league team. That's what you are. I mean, it, it, that's what you are. You're, you're cut from the major league team. You're sent back to a minor league team. You have a minor league contract. And to get back on the Pirates big league organization, they have to purchase your contract and give you a major league contract. It's a cut. I, I would see that as a cut. So basically, they also put you know Taylor Davis into the mix um, as the catcher, and then when they actually do make the four additions, which is on top of the original edition they made for Diego Castillo that we talked about before, because he had his minor league uh, free agency impending, so that totals five. They add, no surprise, Laiova Pagaro. Not really a surprise, they add Travis Swaggerty. Kanan Smith and Jigba, which is another guy that we had mentioned. You were a little surprised about that, though. You didn't think they would do him. I remember you saying you could see it, but you weren't sure. Yeah, and I didn't know that that they were going to do this, and I was kind of almost against it to a degree as they they went out and they protected Jack Sawinski. And it's not even about Jack Sawinski. It's about the fact that they protected three outfielders which I did not see them doing. I didn't see them protecting what could be, you know, if Cal Mitchell doesn't get selected in the Rule 5 draft, doesn't stick with the other team, isn't offered back, then you basically have those four outfielders in AAA, which, you know, could be a good thing depending on who else we could potentially lose. But I just didn't see them going, you know, the entire outfield because... 
Swaggerty was going to be protected, but he hasn't played in, in an, almost an entire year because he was injured. Caden Smith and Jigba missed time and performed fairly well. You know, Jack Sawinski came over in the Adam Frazier deal. And, you know, he's got a decent walk rate, doesn't strike out a ton, has got a power bump, is a little bit on the older side uh, compared to some of these other guys. He's like 23 years old, going on 24. And then you got Cal Mitchell, who kind of fits into that mold as well, like played solid, didn't do a whole lot of great stuff. I just feel like that they... They missed the boat to a degree because, Chris, in the Rule 5 draft, this is another thing I wrote about because I was just very frustrated about this and couldn't wait until I talked to you for some of it. But, Chris, in the Rule 5 draft, what is the major position that is taken? Pitching. And the reason it's pitching is because you can throw a guy into the bullpen, you can hide him as your your last reliever that you use in mop-up roles, just so that you can get him some experience working with a pitching coach, get him through that year, and then you can then you you control him, you own him, you've got him, and that's that's what you go and get. And you're right, Tanaj Thomas, uh, the 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 shine is worn off on him, but that's a guy that might get grabbed by a team in a Rule Five and hit in a bullpen. All right, Eddie Yeen might be thrown in somebody's uh, bullpen next year if they want to take a swing at him. I'm sure there's other names too that you can rattle off that. The Pirates didn't protect any pitching. They obviously didn't like these guys and didn't care if they were grabbed by somebody and put in that other team's bullpen. Yeah, and the the one for me, the biggest one for me, I think Tanaj Thomas probably has the most likelihood of being picked just because the guy throws 100. Uh, had, like you said, he had that shine on him. A little bit of it came off this year because of the walks. But other teams, they'll do what the Pirates did with Oviedo. The dude pitched like less than 30 innings, had phantom, you know, stints on the IL, wasn't, you know, shown in the bullpen for sometimes like almost two weeks at a time. And they said, oh, yeah, he's in like our little mini camp stuff over here. He's working with the coach. He's still getting his bullpen sessions in. He's good. You can do that kind of stuff. But. Omar Cruz is one that actually kind of frustrates me a little bit. I get that too. He's at he's at the he's at the triple A level already. You know, he's only twenty two years old and he's rule five eligible and somebody's gonna grab him, I think. Yeah, that's one uh that just really frustrates me. He pitched very well. You know, he started out in Greensboro, pitched well there, got his promotion to Altoona, pitched well there. Has a good pitch mix. Uh, he's one of those typical, like, crafty lefties. And you picked him up in a trade. That's the other thing I think that drives me nuts. You acquire him just this year in January. So you you made a move to bring him in your organization. He isn't even going to last an entire year in your organization if he's grabbed in the Rule 5 after you went out to make a move to go and acquire him. And it, you're right. Pitching is what people go for in Rule 5 drafts. I, I get your confusion. And, I mean, you throw in Hunter Stratton, you throw in Yeri De Los Santos, who are both, you know, in triple, they finished their year in AAA, pitched well at both levels. There's at least, you know, I'm not saying every single one of those guys are going to be picked, but you basically took five pitchers and have thrown them to the Wolves to protect, in my eyes, Jack Swinski, who equals 
a Cal Mitchell. Matthew Frazier has been like burning up the system, and he's not Rule 5 eligible till next year, but you have what I felt was a some security blankets within the outfield where all of these guys, you know, you don't know if they're going to be great, but to me, they were all fairly equal within the system, and I didn't see why you would protect three outfielders, and especially to the fault of not protecting any of that pitching, when especially when Sherrington says, like, how important, like, gathering pitching is. He keeps on talking about all this pitching. We're going to need so much pitching to get through the season. Well, Hunter Stratton and Yeri De Los Santos, if they're not selected, are going to be guys that are, I think would be in your bullpen this year, giving you some of those innings. So to me, Chris, it's it's just a curious thing to me. Uh, we're going to have to see, I think it's December 8th, uh, if the Rule 5 draft takes place uh, on time because of the lockout, uh, precedent had been set, but it's been you know many, many years since that time where the Rule 5 draft did take place because when it's the lockout, it's the lockout of the Major League players. It's the lockout of like almost like free agents. It's These guys, unfortunately, are still minor league players, uh, and they may still have that draft take place. And just bait and say like there's no you can't trade these picks or something like that you you can't do something with them we'll still do this um, and even if there is a lockout I see this happening at some point in time because the purpose of this is not to allow you know teams to stockpile prospects and it would be a, a clear oversight which I mean MLB's pretty good for that but it'd be a clear oversight uh, to not let that happen. At some point in time, I actually think the Roll 5 draft takes place at the end of the winter meetings. It, it, this this lockout is just locking, I think it's just going to lock out the major league players and the guys that are currently on, you know, the 40-man roster and that this type of this type of moves and these type of acquisitions will still be allowed to happen. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. Now you're talking about pitching. I want to talk about Jose Quintana. You want to do you want to dive Absolutely. into him? Because the, the Pirates go out and they acquire this pitcher. And I'm going to tell you, it's a sneaky good move if it works out for the Pirates. Like we said, you, you needed more arms. The problem with Quintana is, is that he, just to kind of give a little history on him so you understand if you don't know enough about this guy. Starts pitching for the Chicago White Sox back in 2012 at the age of 23 years old. He's on the big league club. And in 2013, his whip gets to his walks and hits per innings pitch. He's put 1.22 on runners. And he stays down there with that low whip for 2014. 
2015. He's at a 1.16 in 2016 when he goes to the All-Star game and he finishes in the top 10 in the Cy Young. 2017, he's just rolling along. And then the White Sox deal him midseason to the Cubs across town as part of their rebuild. And they picked up some pretty good players. Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease, who are both big parts of what's going on in Chicago on the south side, were traded for Jose Quintana. Now, Quintana has a really good run for the Cubs. In his time with the Cubs, he's got a whip of 1.103. His fielding independent pitching is always lower or right around his ERA. In fact, the knock on him in his 20s, okay, when he was a young pitcher, was that he was unlucky. He was a guy who, if he was in a bigger market, would be considered to be a Cy Young guy. He was a guy that would go out there and give up one run, and he would lose one nothing. He was just that guy. He had just this bad luck where no matter how good he pitched, the team that he was on just could not produce any runs for him. And then something weird happens. He has kind of a a struggle in 2018 and 2019 with the Cubs. All of a sudden, that whip gets over the 1.30 mark which normally means you're a, you're a f- number five pitcher, and they were looking for a lot more out of him, and he just couldn't do it. The wheels came off all of a sudden, very suddenly with that team. And in 2020, he barely pitches because he hurts his thumb washing dishes. That's the story. Now, he ends up bouncing around last year between the Angels and the Giants. The Giants, they're a smart team. They were looking for arms. They were making a run. They were a good team. He didn't come out just, you know, doing well. He, he did not have a good uh, appearance. I think he had a total of five appearances, and he wasn't used as a starter. Jose Quintana is a guy who pitched at a high rate of effectiveness for nearly a decade, then was part of the Cubs' collapse towards the end of their window, and he was one of the reasons. Then had an injury here, an injury there, bounced around, and is looking for a fresh start. If you get a guy coming in for his age 33 season, and he can figure it out. He has a good spring training and a good first half. That's great for the Pirates. He's also going to get traded at the midseason point. That's why he has the deal that he has. This is a prove-it deal so that he can be an asset because you're going to move him for something at the trade deadline because he's not going to be on your team, I don't think, when it's time for you to start winning championships. That's how I look at Jose Quintana. Yeah, Quintana and Ben Sherrington has done this. He did this with Tyler Anderson. He tried to do it with Trevor Cahill. He said last year that he's very open and honest with guys. And because basically the the media asked him, you know, are are you letting these guys know that like this is your plan? And he's like, "We're, we're really open and honest with these guys. And this is exactly what these guys are looking for. For Trevor Cahill, it didn't work out. He got injured, wasn't pitching well to begin with, and basically ends up, you know, spending the the entire season on the IL. So one side of the Pirates fan base is like, this guy is Trevor Cahill. Then you look at Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson, you know, didn't have, you know, the struggles that Cahill and Quintana, they hadn't been, he hadn't been regulated to the bullpen, is a, was a tiny bit younger, but didn't have like this phenomenal track record, but pitched well for the Pirates and got what he wanted which he was, you know, either going to be dealt to the Phillies and that deal fell through. And then he ended up being, you know, traded to the Mariners who were in, at the time, a playoff, you know, race. That's what Quintana knows. 
that this is like totally up to him. There's nothing Oscar, Oscar Marine can teach this guy. He's pretty much thrown the same throughout his entire career. His velocity is not dropped in the past five years. A lot of the stuff was changes, I think, in grips, adjustments in where he was standing uh, on the rubber, like towards the third base side, toward the first base side. There was a lot of different stuff going on with that. And it feels like the guy got in his own head instead of just doing kind of what came naturally to him. And honestly, with the Pirates, there's not a lot of pressure. He was signed by the Angels. I think it was a one-year deal on $8 million. And the Angels are terrible with pitchers. Like, they are like a cancer to pitchers. They can't do anything with them. They haven't been able to do anything with them. And I feel like he was brought in to kind of be like the guy. When you come into the Pirates, you're just basically brought in and whatever types of innings you can give us, that's what we're looking for. So I feel if he comes out and pitches and stays healthy, that's number one, because he is 33 years old. He did have some shoulder inflammation last year. I think he had like a left latch strain, and you're talking about the thumb that he had uh, from washing dishes. Whatever it would be, there were some injuries that have piled up here a little bit. But if he can stay healthy and just pitches, I honestly believe that you know he could be a decent pitcher for the first half of the season, veteran present, somebody who you know honestly must want to be here because it doesn't sound like he explored the free agent market too much if he's signing already and just kind of wanted to get a deal done, wants to get comfortable and know where he's going to be and it's a it's a place with no pressure, man. It's a no pressure situation. You got it right there. It's a no pressure situation. He is instantly the ace of the Pirates staff, even with that terrible last couple of years. Fangraphs already slotted him in there as number one. They looked at what he is. They looked at what the Pirates have, and they're like, if he just goes out there and has an average year for himself, he's the ace of the Pirates staff. I mean, that says a lot about how bad the Pirates staff is. But what that also does is if he is slotted in as the number one guy, if he is your opening day starter... If he is the guy that you send out against the best guy on another team, what Jose Quintana is trying to do is make himself more valuable again to extend his career. He wants that challenge, right? He doesn't have to deal with, am I the best guy on the Pirates? He's he's taking this job because he's like, hey, I can go in. I'm likely the best guy on the Pirates. Uh, Nobody's going to bother me. If I do really well, uh, my career gets longer. I I have a good first half. I go to a contender. I perform. And then somebody in free agency next year pays me more money and gives me a multi-year deal. That's his goal. That's Jose Quintana's path. For the Pirates, what it does, it takes pressure off of guys that performed at certain points of the season last year very well. We talk about the fact that JT Brubaker had a low walks and hits per innings pitch. He doesn't put a lot of guys on. Didn't have a great year. I mean, his fielding independent pitching and ERA were pretty much the same. It was in the fives. But you don't want to rely on him to be your ace. Mitch Keller, who knows if that guy's ever going to be any good. You can't rely on him to be the guy that's going to take the ball against a really good pitcher. You know, I, I liked a lot of things that I saw out of Bryce Wilson in the time that I saw him on the mound. He had eight starts last year. He had a whip of 1.24. Again, is fielding independent pitching in the fives, showing that he still has a lot to work on. There's nobody on this team that you're developing right now to be a starting pitcher that you want in the role of. You're going up against the best pitcher on every team every time you come around in the rotation. 
That's what Jose Quintana is going to do. Takes pressure off your staff, puts a veteran in there. He has his goal. His goal is to be so good he isn't on your team after July 31st next year. All right? That's his goal. And your goal is get get some wins out of him, get some value out of him when you trade him, take some pressure off of your pitchers as you continue to try to figure out what's good and what's bad in this rotation. He also shouldn't be the only pitcher you go out and get because, like I said, as this market starts to develop, as you start to see where guys go, as you get closer to spring training, you should be plucking somebody that you think is not only going to contribute for you this year, but might actually still be of an age in the early 30s where he's actually contributing on your on your team and in your rotation, even if it's in the four and the five spot when this team is ready to go. So I don't think he's the end of going out and getting pitching this offseason for the Pirates. And I think that's where Pirates fans' uh, frustration comes in and feel that they immediately need to react that this is either a great signing or poor signing. I think it's a good signing, but I also understand that this can't be the only signing. And I I think that that's where Pirates fans kind of fall into that trap is that if this is the big signing, yeah, it's it's it falls a little flat. But for right now, I'm content with what Ben Sherrington has done with this and and what the goal is moving forward to hopefully, you know, bring in you you spent 2 million dollars here. You got a decent amount of money left over. You know, go sign a couple more pitchers. Yeah. If a guy is 30 or less right now, I would try to be signing a guy that might still have something that, you know, could could turn it on. You know? I mean, like, and 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 they could be a trade down the line, or they could be somebody with unrealized talent that you're, like we've said before, your pro scouting department should be identifying. They should be sitting there and saying, hey, Vince Velasquez, 30 years old, out of the Phillies organization. He was supposed to be good. Why at 30 years old did it never pop for him? Is there something we see there? You know, Carlos Martinez, 30 years old, out of the St. Louis Cardinals organization, dealt with a little bit of injuries, you know, but at some point a couple years ago, people thought he was on the cusp of being something. Jose Urania, 30 years old. All right. Here's a guy who's had flashes where he goes off for a couple of months and he's almost unhittable. So what's going on with him? Is there something the pro scouting department sees? These are the kind of guys you kick the tires. Aaron Sanchez, we brought him up, 29 years old. In fact, Aaron Sanchez and, and Jose Quintana, both of them about the same wins above replacement, about a half game for last year, okay? Sanchez, though, four years younger. If you think there's something there that you can work out, he'll be on your team when it comes time to compete. Because right now, I don't know if you have anybody right now in your rotation next year that's part of your championship run. They, these guys, there are a few guys that could take another step and be part of it. But there are also guys out there that you can add in there to be a part of it. So I think there's more options. I think it'd be interesting to see if he swings at a few other like reclamation projects that could be traded. James Paxson is one of them. Like if that guy is is able to get his arm going at 33 years old, he's been an ace pitcher. And if if all of a sudden you're able to grab that guy and put him on your on your team and he has a good first half, he's also trade bait like Quintana. Like you can go get yourself, you can get a who's who of guys that were good that have had a bad two years with the shortened season in 2020 and 2021 that might still have something in the tank. You can make a whole rotation out of that right now, especially if you're not worried about winning a championship this year, but you're looking to get as much as you can out of them value-wise. So there's guys out there. I, I don't think this is the only pitcher being added to this rotation, 
But again, I don't know how many guys being added to this rotation are going to be guys that are going to be there when you go out to try to win the pennant in a few years. Yeah, there's there's guys. It's young. It's inexperienced. With Keller, it's you know up and down struggles. Demoted last year. JT Brubaker, awesome in the first half. Arm went dead in the second half. Is that you know? Is he somewhere in between, or was that you know a product of not pitching that much? <laughs> the previous year and not pitching at all really the year before that because of an injury. So yeah, you need guys like this to kind of fill out the rotation, fill out the pitching staff. I I see it's a good move. If people want to say it's a bad move. If you think it's a bad move, you obviously aren't paying attention to what the Pirates are doing or you don't like the fact that they're rebuilding and you want them to go out right now and do the plan that I came up with, what, a couple of shows ago where they just spend a bunch of money and they put together a great team, which would be fun. I think they could do it and you could still continue building. I would love it, but I don't think that's what they're going to do because that's, that's yeah. you know, that's that's revolutionary, Craig. I mean, not all not everybody can think. At a level that I think when it comes to baseball. I don't expect Ben Charrington to be on my level, all right? Like, I don't expect that. Not everybody has the baseball acumen that I have. This rebuild, though, I go from when Charrington got in there and started building it. And he got he got screwed out of 2020 because of the whole COVID season. So, in reality, he got like half a year of rebuild and then he because he couldn't do every move he wanted to do. And he came in late really, as a general manager, and really didn't, he didn't really get to do everything he wanted to do, I felt like, and then he gets one full season where he actually gets to do what he wants to do, but again, I would expect this team to start trying to win as early as 2023, not this year that's coming up, but the year after that, they better have some talent on this team, and it's turning around, and the thing is, they're lagging at pitcher, so I get that frustration, because the pitching development is far behind the player development, there are players on this team that are going to be part of your core. You don't have enough pitching on this team that makes me confident you're going to have enough. So at some point, you're after going to go out and buy pitching. And I think some people are saying, hey, go buy at least one right now. Yeah, and I can get that. And I think that's where the frustration is. Now, they might just continue to go after players. One of them is posting Japanese ball player. We've only got a few minutes here, but I want you to say his name. And I want you to tell everybody very quickly, Craig, why they shouldn't get so excited about a guy that pretty much 10 or 12 teams are already interested in. And the history of Japanese ballplayers coming to America, they're not all Ichiro and Shohei Otani. Yeah. Seiya Suzuki. I've seen reports out there that the the asking price or what maybe he's looking for, I don't know if exactly what he'll get, is around five years to $60 million. Forget about that. I don't even want to think about, you know, what teams are interested, what the price could be. To me, there is a much bigger issue at hand here. And what I'm going to do, Chris, is I'm going to throw out, because we love to do this here, is just blind stats. Because nobody knows any of these Japanese players' stats offhand. There's three guys. There's Suzuki, there's Tsutsugo, and there's Shogo Akiyama which have been three of the biggest postings as, you know, over the past few years. And all of them have had around the same amount of time in, you know, the Japanese league. So I'm going to throw out here, and I'm just going to say this guy has 5,499 plate appearances, batted 304, 
an 836 OPS with 122 home runs. Pretty good stats, correct? Right. The next guy, 4,129 plate appearances. Batted 309, 943 OPS, 189 home runs. The final guy, he has 5,154 plate appearances, 281, 255 home runs. So a little bit more power. But his OPS still falls around like 883. All three of them sound like starting players in Major League Baseball if they had those stats. Those are all really good ball players. Yeah. So you got three guys here that are all basically the same guy. They have little things they do bigger, little things, some things they do better, some things they do worse, all right? They all have a lot of plate appearances, so this is not a small sample size. One of them is the player that we're talking about that the Pirates are interested in, and the other two are guys that didn't make it in Major League Baseball or have not performed anywhere close to that in their time in Major League Baseball. Yeah, in his time here, Akiyama has gotten a decent amount of run with the Reds. He's got 365 plate appearances, has batted 224 with zero home runs. A guy who had 122 home runs in Japanese baseball. And you have a guy in Suzuki who has a little bit more power, but his batting average was right around the same as Shogo Akiyama's, and it was a guy who a lot of people were clamoring for. And Chris, we've talked about this before as to how players in Japan take time to adjust. Before uh, we were we jumped on, we were talking about how even Otani had his bumps and bruises with the bat before he finally came around, and he was even younger. So he, you know, I felt like he hadn't been exposed to the type of pitching that comes from the Japanese but, league. But isn't this what you'd want as a team that's rebuilding is to get this guy, and if you sign him for multiple years, you can put up with the bumps and bruises for a year or two until he gets it going? Yeah, I mean, we've seen the Braves, we've seen the Rangers, we've seen the Mets. We've seen teams that have, we'll say, uh, a little bit more spending flexibility than the Pirates and can probably, you know, eat a couple years of this guy not performing very well. And honestly, they'll probably, you know, do the same thing the Rays did, even though it wouldn't be as long of a deal, because we don't even know how much this deal is, how long it's going to be, how much it's going to be for. But let's say it would be for that five years. Those other teams can can probably deal with him being a fourth outfielder for that kind of money or deal with, you know, the bumps and bruises that come along. Uh, for the Pirates, <laughs> I'm not saying you need a guy to perform now, but it's also not saying that I'm still not sold on Yoshi in his last, you know, month or so. Shogo has, has not shown anything for the Reds and actually – kind of just became more of like a bench piece and wasn't even a full-time outfielder. So I know these names and all this stuff comes up and it becomes, you know, something that fans want. And I almost feel like they want it just to feel like they're doing something or moving something in the right direction. Just kind of like what we talked about before. They want this, this rebuild to speed up and unfortunately, people will say, 
you know, 60 game season counts. Yeah, in the record books it counts, but as far as being able to make moves and do stuff that you want to do, it really didn't allow for the Pirates to do much during that period of time. It's pretty much like they had two off seasons and, you know, a spring training mixed in. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing but the